everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Costello. Our guest today is Cesar Sengupta, co-founder and CEO of Arta Finance, a digital family office. Arta offers proprietary AI-managed portfolios and gives customers access to alternative asset investments, such as private equity and real estate. Arta just raised $90 million at the end of 2022. Prior to Arta, Caesar was at Google, where he was the VP and GM of Payments and the Next Billion Users Initiative. He led Google Pay, which went from zero to over 175 million users in five years. He earned an MBA from the Wharton School and a Master's in Computer Science from Stanford University. In today's episode, we discuss how Arta is enabling more people to access the financial superpowers of the rich, how Arta uses AI and machine learning to manage customer portfolios, Caesar's learnings from his days at KugelPay, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Caesar, welcome to the podcast. Where are you calling in from today? Hi, Kaylee. I'm in Singapore. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's great talking to you. We're really excited to have you here. To start with, can you give us a bit of an overview of your career to date and how you ended up in fintech? Right now, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Arta Finance. Uh, we're a digital family office. Uh, we've been good for about over a year now. Prior to this, I was at Google for about 15 years. Most of that time, building sort of two major products. One was Chrome OS, but really the, the part that is relevant for Arta Finance is uh, started about six years back where I, as well as a number of the people I work with at Arta Finance, we started Google Pay in India, and that got us into fintech. And as we built Google Pay out, it was initially called Pays. Uh, Google grew in India, we took it to Singapore, then we took it global, and added a whole bunch of interesting fintech features to that and ended up in this space. And prior to Google, I was actually joined Google straight out of Warden. You've had an exciting journey, and I would love to talk more about your experience at Google Pay later in the podcast. But to start with, can you tell us a bit about Arta's mission and the segment of the market that you're serving? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Arta actually comes is a product sort of of our evolution as we've grown up through our lives, right? Uh, a number of us who started Arta started working together at Google. We worked together for 10, 15 years. And as is often common um, between colleagues, we would start discussing family, you know, holidays, and we discuss our finances. And as we got through, uh, as we kept, you know, growing up in our careers, we realized we were making money. We were very fortunate to have a good income stream, but we really weren't very sophisticated about finances. And particularly when we looked at uh, people who were further in our careers, sort of like the founders of Google or the CEO of Google, we would see them setting up these institutions, family offices. And it seemed that as soon as they got these family offices, they sort of developed these financial superpowers. Right. And we would hear a little bit how they got incredible access or sort of the, the products that they you know, were able to avail of. And so we started asking ourselves the questions like, how do we get a little bit of that? And so the art origin came out of that desire. And as we started doing more research into this space, we realized this is actually a massive problem. I mean, there are 280 million people who you know, have hundreds of thousands to a few million dollars in net worth around the world. And there's almost sort of 58 trillion of wealth in this space. And the space of this audience, people who are sort of what we call kind of rising professionals. You know, you're starting in, in your career, you quite haven't made it yet, but you know you're going to make it. Um, in fact, I would say many modern students soon to be, you know, once once you start off in your careers. 
And for that audience, there are really many, many good services. So what we are building is we're taking some of these facilities, products, these connections, these access and facilities that family offices create, whether it's to invest your money, to help you preserve it, to help you protect it, to grow it. And we are using machine learning, AI and other technologies to make them available to many, many more million people. So that's that's what we are doing. We're creating a digital finance office, digital family office with uh, finance. Are you able to give some examples of the types of products and services that people can access through the digital family office? Absolutely. So to start with, when when someone becomes an ARA member, uh, they get access to the overall platform, right? And in the overall platform, there are a number of different products and services you can start with. To start with, what most people typically do is have in their investment lives will have of a public markets portfolio, right? Like, and the regular person, typically what we used to do, would just have some money in our ETFs, maybe a couple of stocks that we believe in, right? But reality is to get it professionally managed, you either have to go to a, a financial manager where the, you know, you'll get some personalization, but the fees will be high, or you end up sort of leaving your money in these ETFs where it kind of underperforms the market. You're not sure your money is really working as hard as it can. So the first product we have is what we call AI managed portfolios. And this helps you, you with managing. We take over your entire public markets portfolio based on your risk levels. And we'll appropriately not only invest it and manage it, but keep it rebalanced and reallocated using fairly sophisticated quant- uh, quantitative algorithms and machine learning running over large amounts of data to get, optimize the best outcome for you. And then the second, the second part of this is typically once people have got that public market portfolio sorted, they start thinking about like, where can I make more growth for my money? And you know, a large uh, area of growth over the last couple few decades has been in the private markets. And typically these are private equity funds or venture capital funds or hedge funds that the ultra wealthy have access to, but the regular person just can't access. And so we're also helping our members get access to those. So you can put money into you know, top tier uh, private equity firms who will then deploy it into the private market and help you get better better returns over, over the long run. And finally, this leads into many other interesting products, sort of the financial superpowers of the rich, where you can get products that you know, give you investment characteristics, give you protection through insurance, and package it all together into a, a very interesting outcome that helps you plan the right, right long-term view of your life. Or we'll connect you to a, a tax advisor or a, a trust creator so that they can sort of also help you set up and get the most out of putting your money uh, out of putting your money to work. And then finally, the last layer of this, which is where we actually really start differentiating ourselves from everybody else, comes in where in terms of learning. And often, how do we learn about finances? I'm betting like if it was my if it was like my experience at Warden, you know, you'd go out for dinner with your friends, your classmates, and often what would you know your conversation would turn to what are you doing about your investments or how are you planning your life right and so we're trying to create a similar kind of experience on arta where you can learn from others like you your friends see what they're doing sort of be able to benchmark against you know, the decisions they've taken and sort of grow through learning by from peers so that's sort of the overall lay of the land and then over over a course of time we will add more services more products particularly around also enjoying your wealth. Makes sense. I like how art is kind of making those superpowers accessible to more people than can actually go to, you know, a, um, a non-digital family office. 
Um, regarding the AI managed portfolios, are you able to take talk a bit more about how your technology differs from other sort of robo advice and AI or ML personal finance products in the market? Let me talk about how so the evolution of investment or automated investments have happened. Historically, there was a 60-40 portfolio, right? Like 20 years if somebody went to a financial advisor, they would be given a 60-40 portfolio and they would sit on that for the rest of their lives. About 10 years back, robo-advisors appeared, right? Your wealth front, betterment. And all they did was, as the market changed, they kept rebalancing your portfolio back to 60-40 or whatever percentage allocation you had started with. You know, sort of smart and actually helps you do better than our standard 60-40 portfolio, especially when markets are changing quite a bit. What we do is actually we use a set of quantitative algorithms and machine learning over large amounts of market data, company data, risk data, to do one additional thing on top of this, which makes it very interesting. We actually keep changing allocations based on how the, the market is doing. So in the market, certain point of time is sort of, you know, really growing fast, we will shift you into more of an aggressive allocation. And then obviously we do daily rebalancing like the robo-advisors, that's super easy. But what we end up doing is now um, optimizing your portfolio for that particular time in market so that you are best, best provisioned. And, um, you know, when we run this, and of course we do this based on the user's risk level uh, over time with their preferences, taking their personalization factors into account for now, for example, a lot of our early users are people from tech. So our initial algorithm is actually set up to diversify away from tech uh, so that it protects them better. And over time, we'll add more and more ability to personalize this based on your, uh, you know, maybe where, where you work, where you live, whether you are a big believer in ESG goals or not. And so you can essentially get access to almost what feels like a real financial advisor, but running with deep quantitative data and at much, much lower costs. And how did you go about assembling a team and finding the right people to build Arta, both from a business and a technical perspective? Look, we've been very fortunate. A lot of us have worked together for you know, some as long as 10 to 14 years. There are almost 25, 30 people who work together for six, seven years now. Um, and when, when we all started discussing this particular need and this problem to solve, it resonated very strongly with the entire group and so a large part of the team was already preformed in a way. And we all started out, uh, way together. And then we added on people we thought were, re who the mission resonated with and, you know, grew the team sort of organically. The vast majority of our team, I think probably maybe over 95% have come through referrals. So it's uh, either someone who you know, has worked together in this group for a while or someone who's worked with them in their previous, their previous careers. And the current economic climate has seen sort of startups find it more challenging to get VC funding, yet you raised a massive 90 mil Series A. How did you go about the fundraising process and what do you think were the key factors that enabled you to achieve this? I think a couple of things. Actually, to be, to be absolutely candid, we, I think we were very fortunate about the whole funding process. We didn't really, we didn't have to work the system too much. Where it starts off is we're aiming, we're trying to solve a very, very large problem, right? When the space is so large um, that there is enormous room for uh, a great business to be created here. The second factor was a team, right? It's, uh, to be honest, in, in many ways, uh, one of my co-founders says, 
I say we're an old team. He says, no, we're a seasoned team, right? That makes a difference when people have had, uh, you know, a lot of experience. The group has people who built multiple consumer products and reached hundreds of users, who've launched like financial products like the Amex Black Card, or who've like run very large billions of products like Gmail. So it's a fairly senior season team from technology as well as finance. So that that helps a, a huge amount. And the third is, uh, you know, AI, particularly over the last few years, has taken, has made significant advances that make a lot of what we're doing possible today. You know, the quality of data, the access to data, the need to be able to run these algorithms over has dramatically changed over the last 10 years. The, the level of research that actually comes out of academia, out of many of the business schools, has advanced over the last 10, 15 years to the point where Many of these are actually practical to combine with machine learning and be able to apply. Speech actually also is, is a big part of like why people think we'd be able to address such a large uh, opportunity using technology, but in a very differentiated way. So I think those three things uh, combined to help us raise it out. What helped was that we had a very we have a very large number of investors. So we actually started off first with angel investors. We have 140 angel investors. That include people like Eric Schmidt, Betsy Cohen, um, Sundar Pichai, you know, fairly prominent leaders in tech and in finance. Um, and so when they came together as mentors, and again, they were motivated by, again, the same mission and the problem, it made it a lot, lot easier for the VCs to see that and feel a lot more confident about both the space as well as what we are going in. But interestingly, all our investors actually, like our, in our first conversation, uh, the mission resonated so strongly with them that it, it actually turned into a, a great partnership very, very early. That's great. Um, and looking at the personal finance sector more broadly, there's been sort of a history of many of these apps not working out because they've struggled to scale, either because the consumer prefers not to know their financial situation or because the platform struggles to balance incentives, such as do I push the financial product that pays me the highest fee or push one that the customer needs more? How are you sort of thinking about this problem? We are a registered investment advisor in the US, right? That's a regulated, we're a regulated entity. We're actually fairly tightly scoped in terms of like how we can offer products, to whom we can offer products and the manner in which we can offer products. Um, on top of that, I think one of the things we've, uh, we've been very clear about from the start is, you know, ARTA is all about trust because our, our user's trust in the long run is what is going to really help us grow this business as well as sort of create a product and service that works very well in this in this space and in this general space of financial investing trust with institutions is relatively low right so it's it's, it's a, it becomes a hugely differentiating factor to be able to focus so so deeply on trust finally in terms of able to reach users i think you know we think of ourselves not just as a product but more as a almost like a club right where you join in order to not just grow your wealth, but learn from each other, develop each other. And it feels like an experience where you're, you're sort of upskilling and you know, bringing up your, uh, leveling up your entire life. So those are some of the ways in which we think we, we are asking ourselves to be you know, better and different uh, from everything else that people can get to. The last thing I would say is you know, generally in the space of finance, there hasn't been a lot of transparency and clarity. Uh, especially when it comes to investments. Like, why are you making these investments? Like, how do they work for me? Uh, 
And I think that's two things. One is a the digital platform technology makes it a lot easier to be transparent. And second, from our perspective, like we are sort of building this product for ourselves and for people like us. And a key aspect of that is being transparent with with ourselves and with everyone else about what's happening, what are the finances, how are they doing, what the fees are, things like that. I really like your focus on trust. I hear you that this hasn't always been done well in this space. I'm curious, how do you go about providing that transparency for users? For example, is this something that you've embedded in the platform interface to make it clear to users what they're investing in and what the associated fees are? Absolutely. So we're very transparent with fees. One of the things we do which aligns incentives um, in, a, in, a, in a very interesting way is, is for or even for our amps, we offer performance-based pricing and we let the user choose. So if a, if a member wants to pay just base AUM-based fees, as is traditional in the market, of course they can do that. But if they say, look, I don't want just AUM-based fees because that doesn't align our incentives, like you still get paid if my portfolio doesn't do well, you can choose a performance-based option and you can choose to pay us only when the, the portfolio performs for you. So, that also um, is a great way that we've set up to align our incentives very tightly with our users. And then, of course, the basics like being very, very transparent with like how much you're going to charge upfront, tell users where, what, educate them about, about the fees and about like sort of what the actual performance is. Makes sense. So before Arta, you were at Google. How have you found the transition from being a leader at a large tech company to founding a startup? And do you have any advice for anyone looking to start a fintech company? So a couple of things. Um, I think look, in many ways, there are lots of similarities. I mean, Google was really a very deep technology company. And we've tried to bring that heritage to Arta. Uh, the vast majority of our team is very rooted in not just technology from a technology perspective, but even sort of deep financial research and quantitative research, right? Um, so I think in a way, mathematics, whether it comes from technology or from finance is a core part of what we do as a company, uh, very, very data-driven. So I think we've tried to retain that particular aspect. In terms of difference, I mean, you know, Google's, you know, you're, you're, you're a company which has several billion users at this point. And the needs and the growth to the challenges are very different from where we are as a startup, especially where we are in a very new industry or a new sort of new opportunity in a very large industry. So I think from a startup perspective, the mission here is extremely exciting for many, many people, for all of our teams. And that keeps us extremely, very, very highly motivated. Um, in terms of like, you know, wh where it's different is you've, you've got to be a lot more prudent with uh, what you're doing with your resources, uh, you know, you, you we have to be a lot scrappier than we had to be at Google. And in a way, um, a big part of being a startup is actually the freedom to be able to experiment, to be able to try uh, different things to see what works with our users, what resonates, being able to very quickly change stuff around, which often becomes more complicated if you're in a much larger company with, you know, many many layers of approvals and checks and uh, things like that. Ada announced its acquisition of MoneyMix in November last year. Are you able to tell us more about Ada's objectives with this acquisition and how MoneyMix fits in with the broader vision for Ada? Yeah, so MoneyMix is a super interesting company. They have built some very interesting technology to give uh, users in the US and parts of Europe 
uh, a unified dashboard of all of their finances. Most of us have spreadsheets today, you know, and we'll sort of we'll sort of collect our financial life from different sources and different places where we have our money onto our spreadsheet, and we'll have to update it once every few months. Moneymix connects to these institutions directly and then creates one consolidated unified dashboard for you. Super interesting from a from getting users that visibility and transparency that we were talking about. So, you know, and the MoneyMix team of Hussein and Jessica who founded it, um, the husband-wife team, excellent, excellent, um, you know, entrepreneurs and great technologists. So it was both a fit for us in terms of the, the company and what they were doing as well as the team. And so when the team moved in now, where MoneyMix is still running as an independent company, we're going to slowly integrate those features into the Arta product suite over over the course of this year, so that not only can users get you know be able to put their money into AI managed funds or private investments or use insurance, but they can also get a complete view of their finances for wherever their money sits. And looking at the personal finance sector more broadly, what do you think are the key trends impacting this sector, and do you have any predictions for the next few years? I think a very big uh, trend in the sector is the use of technology and particularly AI and machine learning. Uh, it's actually uh, quite surprising how little machine learning has uh, really penetrated the financial sector. There are obviously there are these you know you get these quant hedge funds uh, that have tons of math and physics PhDs and business school PhDs who work there, but typically they are very very inaccessible. Right, only the super ultra wealthy. If you know someone can get to put their money into one of these, uh, you know, very exclusive hedge funds. Um, on the other hand, like what we're trying to do now is take machine learning, combine it with many of those techniques, and make it available to many people. So I think we'll see many more models like this, where people take um, research as well as uh, techniques that have existed in the industry for a while, and then apply machine learning and AI to see if they can democratize it. Um, I think a second big trend uh, we see in this space is desire from users for greater transparency, better pricing, particularly as markets. Like when markets are doing well, nobody asks about these things. And they don't ask, like, how's your portfolio doing? Because you're rising up with the entire wave, right? But as, as, as markets become more volatile, and we definitely have been in a period of volatility and will be for a while, People start asking questions of how is my portfolio doing versus the benchmark? What are the alternatives uh, that I could have uh, could have for the same pot of money? And so I think that that also will that desire for measurability will also uh, be a trend over the years. And in terms of thinking that there will be like more sort of players using AI ML in these products. Do you, I guess, in your opinion, think this will be kind of like a winner-takes-all market, or do you think there's space for different sort of niche players to win in the different segments they serve? I'm not a big believer in the winner-takes-all market because if technology and products are built the right way, they actually expand the market pretty dramatically. And you know, any player who starts thinking I'm going to take, be the winner-takes-all usually like has a very fixed mindset, right? We're coming to this space uh, with a mindset that we're bringing some very interesting technologies and services to our users. We will obviously offer these directly to our, to our members at some point of time, but uh, right now, but we also want to work with partners in this space and we want to help the overall ecosystem. And we're very open to different models in this space. And we feel like if we bring more 
measurability into this space, more transparency, more technology, it will actually grow the overall space. If you think about how much uh, inefficient there is in people's investment habits today, uh, you, you, you can see like how much better it can get. So that's sort of the perspective we're coming at. We think it's a very large space, room for tons of people, lots of different models and methodologies. But for sure, like this is a space that's asking for deep technology, quantitative finance to come in at scale and be able to make it a lot more effective and really work for, for its users. Makes sense. And in terms of the vision for Arta, where do you see Arta five years from now? It's hard to put numbers on that, but we would love to be uh, in a state where we are serving a very large number of professionals in multiple countries around the world with a series of different products that not only help them you know, invest their money and protect it, but also to enjoy it. Uh, we want to become a platform that uh, you know, our members can rely on and feel like you know, they don't need to necessarily worry about their own finances and their own money uh, because Arda's got it, Arda's looking after it for them. So these professionals focus on their craft, their career, their, you know, their chosen areas, their families, and you know, Arta helps them with all of their financial, uh, financial needs and worries. In fact, in many ways, before they can think about it. So I think there's a very, very exciting next five, 10 years ahead of us. Uh, and we're looking forward to see how it evolves. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to see what you do with it. One other question. Previously, you led Google Pay. What were some of the challenges and key learnings that you had from that? And how did that inform how you approached developing Ada? You know, Google Pay was um, was very interesting because in two aspects, Google Pay was really about changing user behavior. I mean, people have needed to pay for things for you know, thousands of years. But depending on which market you were in, we had to change people's behavior to go from a very standard form that they've been used to, to using their phones to pay. Um, and the, let me give you the example of India, for example. So when we started Google Pay in 27, 2017, 2018, um, India was primarily a cash economy, like 97, 98% of stuff used to happen in cash, right? You, you just couldn't live, survive without cash. Uh, today, if you go to India today, uh, it'd be very hard to pay with cash. Pretty much all payments are happening via your phone. And in fact, direct bank to bank. I mean, they have, they have a system called UPI, which the government developed and all payment apps are building, built on top of that. It's sort of like a supercharged ACH for mobile. And today, uh, you know, between Google Pay, Phone Pay, and the, the, those are the two big players on top of API, pretty much all payments are happening phone to phone. And we had to work on really helping users understand that this was a better change rather than handing over, you know, uh, pieces of paper uh, or dead trees. You know, you could actually do this, this on your phone. And they had to feel comfortable about the security, about attaching their bank accounts. They had that habit. They had to, you know, help others get, get going with that habit. And so there was a number of things we did in Google Pay that helped people help other people. Uh, there was this referral program where every time you brought on another friend and user, you know, both of you would earn something. And what we interestingly found was a lot of young people would go around the cities having slightly older people get get onto digital payments, training them, helping them. Um, and we created a number of systems on top of that that sort of 
people understand that not only can you use it for peer-to-peer payments, but you can pay a small business or you can pay your bills, or you can pay your you know, taxes all using the same product. And so Google Pay was really about changing habit. Um, similarly, in the in, in US and other markets, it was about tapping with your phone, right? And uh, that it could be much more secure. You don't have to give your card over to someone. Um, and we had to teach those behaviors to people in many ways. So that was a big, big, big part of the learning. I think Arta, for example, is a very different type of uh, product where we're not changing behavior. We're actually helping people with a completely new way of doing, um, doing things. And for those listeners who might be interested in working at Arta, is Arta hiring? Arta is hiring. I mean, we, um, I will warn you, we have a very high bar. And uh, I, I don't think I would have been hired at Arta at this point, uh, given how the team has kept raising the bar. So I'm glad I got in early, but yes, we are definitely hiring. We're hiring sort of quant people, uh, people with deep mathematics, uh, finance backgrounds. We're hiring like AI machine learning engineers and we're hiring actually all sorts of capabilities. Obviously um, we're a startup, so you know our numbers are relatively, relatively, but uh, we aim to keep hiring in pace with our growth. And we usually like to end with a fun question that allows the viewers to get to know you better. So what's a fun fact about you that most people wouldn't know? Ah, that's interesting. Um, well, let me try this. I had a pet squirrel when I was, uh, when I was about 13 years old. And uh, a squirrel as a pet is actually quite a funny uh, animal to have because it's sort of midway between. I found it as a small baby and then fed it. And literally, I was the person in the family who could who could handle it, uh, but it was it was a it was a fun it was a fun thing to have as a as a as a you know twelve year old thirteen year old boy, especially when the squirrel would crawl around inside your t shirt and crawl out of your neck at times. What was it called? Tommy. <laughs> I was it wasn't very creative with names at that point. I guess that's still cute. Um, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I really enjoyed chatting with you about Ada. Thank you so much, Kali. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and give us a follow on social media. We appreciate the support and hope that you'll continue to spread the word to more listeners. If you'd like to keep up with all the content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Medium at Wharton Fintech, where you'll be able to find articles, interviews, and much more analyzing all aspects of the fintech industry. As always, thank you to our editor, Rafael Austria, and until next time, this is your host, Kaylee Costello.